Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's Friday, December 24th, and you're tuned into the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. I'm Joe Noga, joined by Paul Hoynes. Hoynes, it's Christmas Eve. It's our last show of uh, 2021, and we've reached the end. So it's time to sort of look back on uh, everything Cleveland baseball that, that happened in 2021, uh, an, an up and down year for sure, uh, a historic year in a lot of ways. But uh, really, there's, there's just so much to talk to. We're going we're gonna to jump right in, right off the top. Uh, with January 7th of 2021, uh, uh, maybe a franchise-defining uh, trade at the beginning of the year, Francisco Lindor and Carlos Carrasco headed to the Mets for Ahmed Rosario, uh, Andres Jimenez, and uh, a bunch of prospects. Yeah, Joe, uh, we knew it was coming. Uh, we just didn't know when, but uh, the Indians, uh, the, the, you know, they got it done in January, kind of struck fast, got it over with. And uh, just, uh, you know, you see a guy like Lindor come up, you know, from, from the minors, the number one pick from the minors, see him develop. So in, in that regard, it, it was tough to see him go and just how talented and what a great job he did in Cleveland. Um, and then you see him go to New York and struggle. So it, it was a kind of a, you know, a, a bittersweet moment because everyone knew that the, the deal was going down. Right. And the question at the time was, did they get enough back for Lindor, uh, you know, and Carrasco to a degree? You know, don't, don't forget about Carrasco and, and how endeared he was to the fan base uh, when he left as well. I think it was sort of a, a shock to a lot of people that, you know, they knew they were going to trade Francisco Lindor, but uh, Carlos Carrasco going, I think, uh, you know, really was a shock to a lot of people. That was largely a financial move, though, you know, they having uh, just recently signed him to an extension and, you know, trying to cut as much payroll as possible. Uh, I think uh, the Mets taking on uh, Carlos Carrasco's uh, salary was, you know, something that they could definitely do in order to make the, the, the trade happen. Uh, did they get enough back for, uh, for Lindor? It remains to be seen. Uh, certainly the year that Ahmed Rosario had uh, at the plate uh, made it re- really look uh, like a good, good trade in Cleveland's favor. Uh, and it remains to be seen if Andres Jimenez can produce uh, you know, the, the way that uh, he, he's expected to uh, over the next, uh, you know, few years for Cleveland. Yeah, definitely. The immediate results, you know, favored the uh, Cleveland. Um, you know, the long term, we don't know. But, you know, Carrasco was hurt most of the season with the hamstring injury. Lindo really struggled big time in, in, in his first taste in New York. And like you said, Rosario was a hitting machine. So played a decent shortstop and, you know, Jimenez, we still don't know about, but, uh, you know, he had some, he had some moments. Uh, we jumped to January 30 at the end of the month, uh, Eddie Rosario, uh, the, the big signing, the big move for Cleveland in the off season, they give a one year, $8 million contract to Eddie Rosario. 
Uh, Eddie Rosario didn't last very long uh, in Cleveland. It didn't produce, uh, you know, this was a guy who came over from Minnesota where it seemed like every time we looked up, he was hitting multiple home runs against the, the Indians for, for so many years. And then he comes to progressive field and it's, it's a mausoleum for him. He just, he can't hit the ball. Yeah. What a, that was a disappointment. Definitely. In one year, $8 million. Um, and he just looked, he looked just uninterested to me. Uh, I don't know if he, if he was, oh, got shocked by the trade or I me mean, being non-tendered by the twins, but uh, that Eddie Rosario that played uh, until July in Cleveland was not the Eddie Rosario we saw torture the torture the the tri, uh, the, the tribe for uh, you know six years as as a member of the Twins. Well, and I think the most frustrating part about that is you know that Eddie Rosario was still there because we saw him reemerge in the playoffs. Yeah, he hit yeah. everything. He was the MVP of the, uh, the the National League Championship Series for the for the World Champion uh, Atlanta Braves. Uh, I think Cleveland did him a, a huge favor by uh, by trading him and, and letting him move on, but uh, you know it's it's just it, it's sort of it's the most Cleveland thing ever. It's the most Indians thing ever. Uh, the guy that you have for what three months, three four months of a season, you expect something out of him, and then he goes and delivers it for for somebody else and takes him to the World Series. Yeah, that was like uh, you know I don't know if he because they when they traded him he was hurt he was on the right. uh, you know the right. IL. And, uh, and then he, even when he came back at the end of the regular season, he hit better than he had in Cleveland. And, you know, I, I just think, you know, the thing that sticks in my mind about Rosario is he said it was, he didn't think it'd be this cold in Cleveland. And, <laughs> I, and that drove me crazy because he was playing in Minneapolis for his whole career. It's even colder in Minnesota. How do you even, I don't even, I don't even get it. All right. Well, a disappointment in one Rosario, uh, you know, turned into, uh, you know, excitement over another Rosario. Ahmed Rosario uh, came over, like we said, in the Lindor trade. And, and we really didn't know what was going to come of that because out of training camp, uh, Andres Jimenez was the starting shortstop. He was the guy that had won the job and he hit in spring training and, you know, played really good defense. And then all of a sudden you've got Ahmed Rosario on March 16th starting his first ex exhibition game and making three errors in center field behind Shane Bieber. And uh, it, you were, you were convinced after you saw it that it probably wasn't going to last. Yeah, that was a disaster in the making and, and give uh, Rosario credit. He hung in there. He got a little better in center field. He made some starts out there in, in April uh, for Cleveland. And, but finally, you know, when he, he moved back to uh, when Jimenez struggled uh, Jimenez struggled and uh, in May and and they made the switch. Uh, he got sent down. Rosario moved back to short. And after that, it was uh, he, it, he he took the shortstop like he played there forever and he had played there forever. But the big thing, Joe, was offensively what he did. Right. Yeah. He he turned himself into probably the most dangerous hitter in the Indians lineup uh, after moving back to shortstop. I mean, he was. He was hitting it for the most part in front of Jose Ramirez. So that definitely helped. And, and we've said that a lot about a lot of different guys. You know, you think back to uh, uh, Oscar Mercado and, and his rookie season and, you know, hitting in front of a Jose Ramirez really helps. Yeah, that, that's it, a good thing. It, it really helped Ahmed Rosario. And he became, uh, you know, a guy who when he got two hits in a ball game, you know, you expected him to get three or four. And it happened like five, six, seven times this year 
where he got four hits in a ball game. Uh, just a totally unexpected offensive season out of Ahmed Rosario. Uh, and, and you can just point yourself all the way back to that March 16th start in center field and say, man, what were they thinking? But, you know, it, it, it all tended to work out. Uh, moving on, uh, you know, we get to opening day, April 1st. We're in a snowstorm in Detroit. I remember uh, going down to the hot dog stand on the concourse in Detroit and just free- I couldn't get my my uh, my credit card out of my wallet to pay for the hot dog. My fingers were so frozen and the, the flurries were coming down. The pictures were so amazing. And there's Shane Bieber and Matthew Boyd going at it like it was game seven of the World Series, the two of them pitching. What a what a brilliant pitching matchup. Uh, Bieber winds up losing because because the Indians basically just couldn't hit the ball. Uh, but, you know, you look back at Bieber's month of April and he was as dominant as any pitcher has been. He just continued that Cy Young momentum from the year before. Yeah, definitely. He was off to a great start. I remember, you know, you sit there and you're watching a Southern California kid, you know, pitching a blizzard and he, you know, he, it looked like he was loving it. You know, he just like, you know, big snowflakes. He said he'd never seen snowflakes that big. And, you know, I think maybe he got a little bit overused in, in, in that, in the early going Joe, that may have led to that shoulder injury that, you know, kind of sat, really sidetracked his season. Yeah. And, you know, expect, them to, to uh, take a lot more care uh, with Bieber uh, this season for sure coming up, coming off of that shoulder injury. Uh, but his strikeout uh, numbers are still there. We saw when he came back at the end of the season, uh, he was he was still able to strike guys out. He was still able to, to pitch effectively. So uh, that's got to give Shane a lot of confidence moving into his, his offseason conditioning. Uh, you know, you talk about Shane Bieber, uh, the other end of the spectrum, you know, 137 years old is, is Brian Shaw. We didn't know what to expect out of Brian Shaw coming out of spring training. And it, and Brian Shaw turns out to be, you know, the, the life raft for this, this Indians bullpen uh, throughout the season. He came in, he was consistent. He sort of tailed off maybe in, uh, in August and September, but you know, through the first three, four months of the season, Brian Shaw was as good a reliever uh, setup guy as, as there was in baseball. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Uh, 81 appearances, Joe, how do you replace that? You know, that, he led the big leagues in appearances. What a 32, 33 um, set the, uh, uh, you know, the franchise record for relief appearances, appearances by a relief pitcher uh, past his good buddy, Cody Allen. Uh, just, just, a you know, an amazing performance. And uh, yeah, he ran out of gas at, I think a little bit in, in September, but that didn't stop him from going out there. I think, that last weekend he pitched two or three times against Texas to get to 81 appearances. Yeah. The stories are, are classic just of, uh, you know, DeMarlo Hale telling Terry Francona, Hey, you know, Brian Shaw is in my office every day telling me he wants to pitch. And, and, and Tito sort of knows he's like, yeah, I know that's what Brian Shaw does. He, he's it's just come to expect it. And there are days when you have to tell him no, but uh, you can't mention Brian Shaw without mentioning Blake Parker uh, he uh, was a, a late invitee uh, to spring training, uh, didn't make the club out of spring training, but got called up, you know, he, he, to his credit, veteran guy, he didn't have to go to Columbus. He spent the early part of the season in Columbus, came along and, you know, really provided depth and, and innings and really experience and guidance for some of those guys in the, uh, in the bullpen. Just, just a great, a great addition. You know, this guy's been around. 
He's, you know, been around the big leagues. He's closed. He's say, you know, he's closed games. He's pitching middle relief. He's done just about everything. And, you know, that experience really, really helped this bullpen, you know, uh, like, uh, you know, just, uh, just, just, just a great job by, by uh, Parker. And he pitched, you know, the longer he, you know, the later the season got the more, you know, leveraged situations he pitched in and did a pretty good job. You know, he, he did okay. Uh, early in the season, uh, the, the bullpen, the, the back of the bullpen role was sort of up in the air a little bit. Uh, Emmanuel Class A really sort of stepped forward and grabbed that role as the closer. And now you're looking at the Corey Kluber trade and going, wow, this is really what they had imagined and hoped would, would be the, the case. Uh, you've got your closer here for, uh, for several more years now. Uh, 24 saves for Emmanuel Class A. It was between bouncing back and forth between uh, Class A and, and James Karinchak. And, and we saw what happened to Karinchak. We'll talk about that in a minute or two. But really, Class A just sort of stepped up, and he was one of the most valuable players on, on, the, on the roster last year. Yeah, after the All-Star break, he really took that job and ran with it, Joe. Uh, over 46, what, 46% of his pitches were 100 miles an hour or more. I mean, it's just, you know, what we're watching here is incredible. I've, I've been covering baseball for a long time, and I've never seen a guy throw that hard that consistently. I, I just, I don't know how, how that happens, you know, just, I, I really don't. I still don't. There were games that he came in at the end of the game, and the opposing hitters were completely overmatched. They had no chance against a 100 mile an hour cutter that moved in on their hands and just they could not put the ball in play. And if they did, it was nothing, uh, you know, dangerous. He he really was the epitome of what you hope you have for a closer. Now it's just a, mad, a matter of, you know, does he get enough experience? And, and over the next couple of years, by the time the guardians are ready for a, a playoff run, is this the guy that you want with the ball on the mound in game seven of the world series? Yeah, that, that's a great way to put it. Um, and you could see the longer he pitched, the, the more confidence he got in that, in that spot. And uh, you know, this guy from spring training wanted to be the closer and he certainly uh, showed uh, that, that he was up to the task, equal to the task. Okay. Uh, speaking of pitching, uh, Cleveland suffered, you know, probably uh, we, we thought that the 2019 season was, was pretty bad in terms of the, the devastation to the starting rotation, uh, the injuries that they suffered with Corey Kluber breaking his, his arm and Mike Clevenger and all that. Uh, this was, this was just about as bad. Bieber going on the, the injured list with a, a strained shoulder. Uh, Aaron Savali uh, going on the injured list with a, a sprained finger. And uh, Zach Plesak breaking his thumb while taking off his his uh, his shirt in the locker room. Uh, I just we've seen this before. We've seen the rotation, you know, sort of get, you know, devastated this way. Uh, what do you think of the job that guys like Cal Quantrill, uh, Tristan McKenzie and, and the younger guys who stepped into the rotation were able to do? I just thought, you know, the, it didn't look pretty at times, Joe. But uh, they certainly did a, gr a great job. Cal Quantrill, like, came out of the bullpen, and you know he's going to go to camp uh, next season or this spring as as a member of the rotation. He was he was one of the best pitchers in, in baseball after the All Star break when he went seven and one. Just uh, just a great showing by him, and and to have the uh, to have the to be prepared 
not only to be prepared, but to take advantage of the situation. Just, just a great job. So going into this rash of injuries, you had Aaron Savali basically leading baseball with, uh, in, in wins and innings and, you know, looking like he was on his way possibly to some sort of Cy Young buzz uh, at some point. But then, you know, he has to miss two months with the, with the, the finger injury. Uh, Shane Bieber, obviously the same way. He had that momentum. And it sort of tailed off once uh, once the injury became apparent. Uh, you, you replaced him with a guy like a Cal Quantrill, who, it, like you said, it took a little bit for him to to get leveled up from the bullpen to the starting rotation and, and stretched out. And once he did, he sort of took off with it. Tristan McKenzie came into the season with, hey, you've got the number four or five starter role. Uh, he's he sort of was a, a letdown in April, but that's that's not unusual to think of with a young guy in Cleveland in April. It's why Tito doesn't like to necessarily bring some of those guys along as early, but once the summer heated up and, and once, uh, you know, Tristan had made a couple of trips back and forth between uh, Columbus, he, he finally just hit and stuck in, in August. And it was, you know, eight strikeouts in a row setting the, the, the franchise record against the, the White Sox or a, a near perfect game in Detroit uh, and, and just, you know, looking like he was delivering on the promise that, that he had shown in 2020. Yeah, uh, he had that great stretch of uh, seven straight quality starts, Joe, after the break. And just, you know, he, he was as dominant as any pitcher in baseball. And like you said, what, seven and two-third perfect innings against the Tigers? You know, I, that we were <laughs> we, at Comerica Park, I, for sure I thought he was going to get it. I, I, I've never been more confident to, that a guy was going to throw a perfect game than, than that game. Maybe Carrasco against Tampa Bay when he was what <laughs> two outs and two strikes, but that was a no hitter. But, but uh, 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 you know, Tristan just came on. And then, you know, I think that, you know, to me, Tristan is, is like you said, he's a young guy. He's kind of feeling his way. He found it for seven games there. Then he kind of, you know, fell off the map those last two or three starts. But I think it's all a process, you know, you know, Sheldon Ocker told me a long time ago, veteran baseball writer, it takes about five years to, to learn how to pitch in the big leagues. So Tristan is well ahead of the learning curve. Yeah, that's the, that's the hope. Uh, and, and like you said, this was uh, a year where Tristan definitely experienced a lot. He experienced those ups and downs. He came out and said some things, even in the press. And, and I love talking to Tristan. He came out and said, what, that the moment was too big for him or, or, or he was overwhelmed or something. You, you never hear a pitcher, uh, you know, say something like that. You know, uh, the Aaron Savali, uh, you know, track, the, the, the most dry and boring uh, press conferences after a game. It's, it's just Aaron saying yes, no, you know, this and that. Tristan, you got, uh, you know, sort of a little bit more emotion and feeling out of. Uh, he'll, he'll be okay. I think uh, this is a big year for him coming up for sure. Yeah. Let's hope he doesn't take any lesson, uh, you know, speech lessons from uh, Corey Kluber. Just Tristan, just be yourself because he's he's refreshingly honest. Now, uh, Tristan's wasn't the first uh, game where they they took a no hitter or a, a perfect game uh, into the late innings. Uh, we saw Zach Plesac do the same thing out in Seattle. We thought for sure that you know he was he was heading toward the way he looked that night. It looked for sure like there was there was no way it was. It was going to end the 40-year streak of uh, frustration over no-hitters in Cleveland. Uh, but but Plesak had his own little uh, bad luck in terms of no-hitters. Uh, he started three of them 
this year. Unfortunately, they were all against the Indians. Uh, Zach, please, have you ever seen anything like that? And that's it's just amazing if you think about it. Yeah, I mean, what are the, you could you couldn't even calculate the odds on that. You know, fortunately, he only lost two of them because mm-hmm. one was a no decision because he pitched, he matched Wade Wiley pitch for pitch for, for seven or eight innings until, the, you know, they took Zach out and, and the Reds scored in the ninth to beat, uh, to beat Cleveland. Uh, but uh, just, I mean, what did he say? He said, this is insane. I can't even wrap my head around it. And I'm, I'm still trying to wrap my head around that. Yeah, and I, I don't, you'll, you'll never see anything like that again in, in baseball for sure. Uh, after the All-Star break, uh, Cleveland, or around the All-Star break, late, uh, late June and into July, around that stretch there, they lost 11 out of 12 and basically fell out of the race for, uh, for the division and then the playoffs. Uh, and that sort of uh, prompted the front office to make a, a series of moves, trading Cesar Hernandez, who was having a career year as the leadoff hitter in terms of home runs. Uh, they, they moved him to Chicago uh, and got back a bunch of prospects, but also allowed a number of these young players, guys like Ernie Clement, uh, Owen Miller, Andres Jimenez, to, to come back up and, and get some, some innings and some games under their belts and see what they had in order to make better roster decisions moving forward. Yeah, that, that was, uh, you know, they really had to get a look at this, this, this roster you know, for the second half, Joe, can Zimmer play? Can Mercado play? What about second base? Let's look at Owen Miller, uh, Jimenez, uh, Ernie Clement. Uh, you know, w- where are we with those guys? And uh, bring up Bobby Bradley. Let's give Yu Chang a chance. Is Yu Chang a player or not? And so, you know, you had to clear out some some uh, veteran guys to to open up that opportunity, that kind of opportunity. And around there, you saw Bobby Bradley hits a, a walk-off home run, uh, I believe, on July 3rd. Um, there's all sorts of excitement around the team, uh, you know, back-to-back walk-offs, I believe, that that week. Um, you mentioned Yu Chang. Yu Chang showing a, a little bit of power like that. Uh, towards the end of July, at the trade deadline, all these moves are being made, and then all of a sudden we get a phone call, and we hear that Terry Francona is going in for more surgery, and he's going to miss – uh, the final two months of the season. Yeah, Joe, I, I, I mean, as bad as Tito was feeling, you know, I, I don't think we really got, you know, the, the full grasp of it because we weren't, you know, we still reporters still for the second story year, you're not in the locker room, you know, you're not uh, talking to Tito every day, you know, in the dugout or in his office, you know, you're doing a lot of zoom calls and, and, you know, you see him limping out to the mound to make the changes, but we didn't see the full picture. And, you know, that kind of, that kind of caught me off guard. I did not, I did not see that coming, but, you know, thankfully I think it was the best move they could have made. You know, obviously they weren't going to win the division. Uh, let Tito get, you know, get these two surgeries done, give them, give them a head start on the healing process. Uh, you know, let the Marlo Hale, uh, you know, manage the club and, and hopefully, uh, you know, Terry Francona is back in the dugout, you know, as close to hundred percent as he can be in 2022. And that's uh, and that's hopefully where we're trending uh, definitely towards that uh, in in this uh, upcoming season. Uh, Tito back home in Arizona, uh, still working through uh, his issues, but, uh, you know, getting closer to being uh, back there in the dugout with us on a regular basis. Uh, You know, we mentioned DeMarlo Hale. We mentioned, hey, uh, you know, fans were back in the park uh, throughout the season and we got to see crowds and we got to see 
you know, uh, it feels kind of weird to be talking about it now with uh, the ongoing uh, spike in the in the coronavirus. But, you know, it was it was great to have everybody back in the ballpark, at least for those couple of months there uh, and make it feel like a normal season again. Yeah, that was that was great. And, you know, they had the COVID restrictions early, 30 percent and gradually increased to, you know, full capacity. It was just great to see uh, people at, at Progressive Field, especially on the weekends. They had great weekend crowds, Joe. And, you know, I think they finished, what, 23rd in, in attendance overall, 1.17, something like that, or one maybe 1.7. But I don't know. I don't think it was 1.17, I think. But, uh, uh, you know, it was just good to see people in the stands, hear the, hear the fans again. And I think, the you know, the players responded to that. Right. And we got to see uh, a final – uh, home game uh, as the Cleveland Indians. Uh, one of the storylines throughout the entire season uh, was this this sort of overhanging idea of uh, they're going to change their name. Uh, that it, it had been decided before the season started that they were they were going to change the name. Uh, the new name hadn't been announced yet. July, I believe, July 30th, they came out and made the announcement that it was going to be the Guardians. Uh, and then on Monday, September 27th. Uh, they brought Kansas City in uh, for the final home game at Progressive Field as the Indians. Uh, we all sort of got to be there and, and, and witness it. Uh, and it was really downplayed by the franchise, and I understand why. But uh, for a lot of people, it was, uh, it was a pretty meaningful day. Yeah, big, big emotion at the ballpark, Joe. You know, I, I remember the signs, you know, the Chief Wahoo signs with tears rolling down his face. And, uh, you know, just, you know, it was cool just to walk through the, through the crowd and just see what everybody was wearing, you know, uh, uh, you know, the, the uh, just the tradition of it, the, uh, you know, the look back into the past, that's never going to change. I mean, the name changes, but, you know, I think the, the way people feel about the Cleveland ball club, the guardians, the Indians, whatever you want to call them, you know, that's, that doesn't change. I mean, you could, you can get mad. Yeah. You can get mad, but, uh, you know, that's, that's the way it is. But, you know, the, the thing I remember most is the fan, the players coming out at, at the end of the game and, and congrats, you know, congratulating the fans. Yeah, that, that, that salute was a, a nice gesture by the team. And uh, I, I agree with you. It, it's, you have to move it forward, but obviously you, you have to respect the, the fans that were there and, and the ones that, you know, came out to, to sort of, you know, say goodbye and, uh, you know, the signs have been taken down now, the, the big Indian sign over the scoreboard and, and all that. There's the, the change has definitely happened. We were in the park at the team shop when they, uh, they had their, their new merchandise uh, revealed and, and, you know, the, the Guardians logo and, and, you know, love it or hate it, it's the way it's going to be for uh, the immediate future. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's going to be different. It's going to be, we're going to catch ourselves a million times as we open the Guardian season on March 31st, but uh, should be very interesting uh, moving forward. Uh, and, and the fans being there, you know, sort of made the whole the whole situation, uh, you know, that much better. It, it couldn't imagine doing that with an empty ballpark. Uh, uh, another ongoing theme throughout the year was uh, this whole lease agreement and the, and the expiring lease for the Indians at the ballpark for uh, the franchise. And uh, they came to an agreement with the county and with the state. Uh, millions and millions in, in upgrades will be, be made to the ballpark that are, are sort of necessary. Uh, but that also comes with pretty much the guarantee that for, 
you know, definitely over the next 10, uh, 15, but as, as up to uh, the next 25 years, we're talking 2046, uh, there's the potential that this team is, is not going anywhere. Yeah, I don't think it was ever a threat, Joe. The, the Dolan family never made a threat that they were going to move if they didn't get this deal done. But, you know, I guess you can, you know, it, it's out there. You know, it's, you know, it kind of over, it hangs over the whole negotiations. But, you know, I, I don't think that was ever a threat, but I, I'm, I'm glad it got done. 40, what, $435 million of improvements. You get the 15-year lease. And, and like you said, it, it, ex, it can extend beyond that. So. You know, that's perfect. And then once uh, sort of that duck fell into the row, uh, you know, uh, we find out just within the last week that uh, Paul Dolan has been in uh, serious conversations with uh, David Blitzer, a uh, sports management uh, owner uh, who has a stake in the um, 76ers and the NBA and the New Jersey Devils and the NHL and several uh, soccer teams in Europe. Uh, David Blitzer could be coming on as a minority investor at, with an eventual path to, uh, you know, full ownership of the team. Yeah, I think this is what uh, Paul Dolan has been looking for since, you know, uh, um, uh, uh, Sherman uh, sent, you know, sold his shares to and to buy uh, to buy, uh, you know, the, the Royals. So, uh, you know, hopefully this deal goes through gives the, you know, the franchise, uh, you know, some stability financially and can help, uh, you know, pay down the debt and maybe, you know, increase his payroll. Ponzi, right. who didn't we talk about this whole time? We, I, I can't believe we skipped over. Jose Ramirez. Jose Ramirez. Did we skipped over Jose Ramirez this whole time? And I guess that that's, that's sort of, I guess, maybe a, a compliment to Jose that, He's so consistent and he does his job and it's so expected uh, at, at this point, uh, you know, of how, how good he is and how much he carries a franchise. How good was Jose Ramirez this year? He, Joe, this guy plays at an MVP level. What we've seen him do this for the last four, four of the last five years, an MVP mm -hmm. level. I mean, he just, and he does it day in and day out, just a great ball player and just, just fun to watch. And I think, you know, the fact that, you know, we're not talking about him till the end of uh, this podcast. Uh, I mean, I think that's the way he likes it. I, I think, I don't think he, he does not seek out the limelight. You know, this is not, I don't know, maybe he's the face of the franchise right now, but he, he, he doesn't have that, you know, I don't think that's, that's part of what makes him go. I think the game itself makes him go. He loves the game. He wants to play every day. And, you know, he's what? He's approaching 30 and, you know, he's still playing like a rookie. He's still playing like that kid that came up as a utility infielder and, you know, just ran the bases like, uh, you know, people were chasing. I mean, if he's in his prime right now, I mean, this is an extended prime. I, he, he could go to, to 32, 33 and, and still be at this level. Uh, we saw him run the bases, I think, better than he has in his, in his entire career this year. He was, he was a magician running the bases this year. Uh, played gold glove uh, caliber defense, according to all the metrics, uh, except for errors, which he made more of than he is in, in his entire career. Uh, but and, and, and just at the plate, there were games and there were times when Jose Ramirez absolutely carried this team. Uh, you talk about his influence on guys like Framil Reyes, Framil, who uh, who hit a ball against uh, the Angels that hit the catwalk and then nearly killed a guy on a bicycle uh, on, on Gateway Plaza. You know, it. 
you see the potential and the pieces there in the lineup, but the whole centerpiece of that whole, you know, everything that makes that lineup tick, it, it's Jose Ramirez from top to bottom. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Switch hitter, like you said, plays great defense, runs the bases, you know, as well as anybody in the big leagues. And he, he he's a little guy that hits the ball a long way. And he, and he, he's, you know, he's not up there trying to hit singles. He's, he's, he's up there looking to drive the ball. Absolutely. All right, Hoinsie, that's going to wrap up uh, 2021. Our last podcast of the year will be off all week next week. Uh, what do we, what do you say we do this again next year? Same time, same place. We'll, uh, we'll come <laughs> back and, good, and wrap up 2022. All right, Hoinsie. Uh, great to talk to you as always. Uh, and it's, it's just a pleasure uh, every day of the year to get to, to talk baseball with you. Uh, we'll do it again in 2022 on the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. All right. Merry Christmas, Joe. Merry Christmas, Paul.